This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been practicing psychology now for over 25 years. And a couple of years ago, I decided to start this podcast because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be seeing a therapist or be quite comfortable with psychological issues and topics, to those perhaps of you who have just been recently diagnosed with some kind of mental illness or you've run up against some relationship problems that are perplexing to you. And of course, there's a third group, those of you who may never have even considered talking to a therapist or a psychologist, but are just curious enough to listen to a podcast about such things. I am really tired of the prejudice and stigma against mental illness. And so I wanted to do what I could, do my part to confront it. Just in the last two weeks, we've heard of the suicides of two young people who went through the Parkland massacre last year. Mental illness is real. Depression can lead to tragic results. Post-traumatic stress disorder can be a very, very dark illness to have. Our minds and our hearts can sometimes only take so much. And all we can do to connect with one another, reach out to one another, support one another when we need to reach out for treatment and help. Our hearts go out to those in the Parkland community and, of course, to the families, not only of the victims of the massacre, but now to other family members who've lost their children. I do want to point out that suicides can often breed other suicides. So if you have children, please pay a little closer attention to them right now. But now, we'll go on to the topic for today. Today's topic is on love addiction and the narcissistic relationship. How you can be addicted to the drama of a relationship, addicted to breaking up and getting back together, addicted to the very edginess and even arguing that can be involved. But what's the difference between healthy interdependence and actual love addiction? We'll talk about that. We'll discuss as well how the narcissist counts on love addiction to keep people close to him, and I say him, because narcissism is more prevalent with males, and then how to recognize a narcissistic relationship. There are three ways that I'm going to talk about, at least, that you can identify love addiction, what it sounds like, what it looks like, what it feels like. Basically, it's created because there's such a fear of being alone. There's an unhealthy tolerance of chaos, and there's such active shame and denial present that the relationship can stay as is. Often when I look at someone and say, you can't leave this relationship because you're addicted to it, they'll look at me with sudden understanding in their eyes and say, you know, that's right. It's just like alcohol or drugs. I cannot get this person out of my system. So we'll talk about how to confront that in yourself. Our listener email, which is a regular weekly feature of self-work, is from a woman who I think very wisely asks herself the question, Am I unhappy because of my marriage, or am I unhappy within myself? 
I think it's a really great question and a good one to ask yourself. It can feel absolutely giddy to fall in love. It can hurt to breathe if you're not in their presence. Waiting five minutes for a text to be returned can seem like five hours. You feel excited and terrified all at the same time. You can't wait until you talk or see them again. I may may have been married for almost 30 years, but I do remember. (laughs) And you're wondering, do they feel the same way? Are they thinking about you? And it's not only a teenager thing. It can happen to grown adults as well, this whole falling in love. In healthy love, those feelings do subside with time, but you're still glad to be going home to the person you're going home to. It's not that you don't fight or get mad at one another. The more complicated life gets, the more interwoven your two lives become, the more interdependent you get, then things can get a little heated at times. You're counting on them to do their part, and that's how they feel as well. No matter how you divide chores or errands or jobs, no matter whose career is taking precedence right now, no matter how much one gives and the other receives, there's an understanding that you enhance each other's lives and that you choose them all over again. That's healthy interdependence. So what's the difference between that and love addiction? First, what it sounds like. And what does it sound like? You actually are afraid of the risk of starting over, or even worse, of being alone. You may hear a friend or even yourself say things like, I know this relationship is horrible for me, but I just can't seem to let go. I always go back to him. It's like I forget how bad it can get. Why do I keep doing this? Or, I want to get out so bad, but I don't know if I could survive without her. You've told yourself somehow that whatever is happening, you're either not worth looking for something healthier, or you've drunk the Kool-Aid of believing that without that person in your life, that life would be empty, non-meaningful, you'd be lost. One of my own exes, who was verbally abusive, used to say to me, you better stay with me because if anyone really knew you, they'd leave you. Now... I was definitely addicted to that relationship, and certainly that statement doesn't sound like love to me now, but somehow back then I absorbed it. I didn't know what I was going to do without him in my life. So you, like me for a long time in that relationship, you stay. You take on the responsibility that most of what happens that's bad or painful is your fault. You know, maybe the makeup sex is great. Maybe you hate being on the dating scene again. So you choose what's easiest. Often, there have been damages to your own self-worth long before you entered this relationship. And you chose what was familiar. Not good, but familiar. You can see this tendency toward choosing what's familiar really in all relationships. For example, if you grew up with controlling parents, you're likely to be attracted to either someone who leaves you completely alone or someone who's also controlling. But control is an issue. Or you didn't grow up believing in yourself, so you're attracted to someone who will give you the message that you're not worth much or that you become dependent upon their belief in you. So if fear is what is keeping you in the relationship, 
there's something wrong. Of course, in healthier relationships, when you think about something happening to your partner and you'd have to go on without them, that can make you afraid, but not the kind of fear I'm talking about. The kind of fear I'm talking about in love addiction is actual panic at the thought of being alone, feeling as if you couldn't be who you are without them in your life. And that creates dependence. The second way you can tell that it's love addiction is that there's a cycle of never-ending squabbles and fights and then honeymoon periods when all is glowing again. And either one of you or both of you have become immune to the chaos that you're creating together. You'll either say or hear things like, yeah, we were together for a year, but then we broke up. Then we got back together for quite some time. Then we broke up again. There's a definite cycle. There could be actual abuse going on, or it could be that your own identity has become swallowed up by the other person's needs or wants, desires, or demands. You could be addicted to feeling needed, or you're addicted to the idea that you can save the other person. In fact, if you're interested, I did a whole episode on victim-savior relationships, and it's 69 is the number. You can be addicted to the excitement of the cycle itself. You like the ups and downs. You almost count on them. Healthier relationships that you might enter if you do break up feel boring to you. They're not filled with tension and drama, so you go back. However much the more rational part of you recognizes this is destructive, that recognition is not enough to break the addiction. Again, either one of you or both of you can be manipulative and cajole the other into coming back, promising great change and a much better outcome. Or you can lie to yourself, he'll change for me. Let's carry this a bit further and talk about narcissism. The narcissist pattern counts on love addiction. He chooses to love bomb someone he's interested in. He spends hours grooming them, so when he leaves to go find adoration somewhere else, and that, by the way, is a need that is endless, his partner will absorb the responsibility for what's wrong. What have I done? Why isn't he with me anymore? She feels abandoned. Yet just as she may be figuring out the pattern and making some more independent choices, he'll sense her moves away and come back just long enough to ensure that she's still well under his spell and that she remains addicted. And again, if you want to listen to more about narcissism, episode 47 is on narcissism and episode 19. Just think for a minute how far some alcoholics and drug addicts have to fall before they reach their bottom and finally address their addictive personalities and lifestyle. They can lose their jobs, children, parents, families, and still return to their drug of choice. And think of how a drug dealer keeps his dealers dealing, always making sure their own habits are taken care of and keeping them addicted. Love addiction is no different. The third thing that you can note in love addiction is where it leads to shame, and feeling completely dependent on one person for your sense of safety and stability. Often the narcissist and the person who is setting up the addiction 
will belittle your family and friends so that you stay addicted to them. But that one person doesn't have a goal of providing safety or stability. They have a goal instead to never provide true safety or true stability. You can carry such shame for knowing you're being treated horribly and staying. You can carry shame for the things you're told that you keep doing, and that's the reason why he leaves or she leaves. You can feel shame that you've left your other friends and family because he told you they were a bad influence. How could you go back now? So shame is very much a part of love addiction. So the three features are fear of risk or of being alone, an unhealthy tolerance of chaos, and maybe not even recognizing it as chaos. It's kind of like if you're in a hot tub and you tell somebody to get in, it's not all that hot, and then they stick their toe in, it's like, oh my gosh, it's really hot in there. You can grow immune to that chaos. And then the third feature is the strong presence of shame. All of these keep love addiction alive. Since I shared with you that I was certainly in one of these relationships myself, I will say that it was only when I began getting feedback from other people that I widened my circle of friends and supporters that I realized the messages that I was getting from him were damaging to me. But it took me a long time to get out. So be patient. Recognize your addiction to the relationship and begin getting support from the people who truly love you. You don't need this person in your life to be complete. Today's listener email is from someone who is unhappy and is looking for the source of it. She says, hi, I just found your website and really appreciate all the great content. I've also started listening to your podcast. And here's my question. I don't feel happy in my marriage, but I think it's me. I'm not happy with me, and I need to resolve those feelings and make the effort for a mindset shift to start living a happier life for me first. Which of your podcasts would you suggest I listen to? And then she thanks me. It was a short and sweet email, but it's a great question and one that I think it's so important to ask yourself. Here's my answer. I said, first, I totally agree with your assessment of what should come first. You discovering what your unhappiness could be about that is separate from your marriage is so important. I'm not sure truly that I've covered this specific topic, but it would be a great one. Thanks so much for being a listener. Maybe what I could do, if you don't mind, is answer your question next when I record. That's what I'm doing now. (laughs) It's a wonderful question, one I'm sure many people have. The reason why I, when, when someone calls me and says, I know I'm depressed or I'm very, very anxious and I don't know if it's me or my marriage, this is something I tell them. Research indicates that when you enter therapy and your major issue is unhappiness with your marriage, you are more likely to get divorced. I'm not sure why this is, but just think about the therapeutic situation. Here you have someone listening to you intently, focusing on you, giving you support, giving you caring, 
And even if they don't vilify your partner, which hopefully they don't, hopefully they're helping you look at what your responsibility is in the relationship for both the strengths and its vulnerabilities. The very fact that you're in such a supportive relationship can highlight the relative emotional poverty of your own relationship or just the unhappiness within it. So you don't necessarily want to go to therapy by yourself if, one, you believe all your unhappiness comes from your marriage, or two, you don't understand that divorce could be a consequence. So my response is always to say, of course you want to look at your own depression, your own anxiety, what could be causing it, what are things in your life that maybe you've never looked at, trauma, loss, grief, anger, and how is that being played out in your marriage? But my own personal practice is whenever someone says, it's my marriage or my relationship that's the problem, then I say, then both of you come see me. Or I let the person know the potential that I've already discussed with you. So if your life is happy, if you know that when you wake up in the morning, you're looking forward to the day, you're feeling productive, you feel content in yourself, but that there's too much fighting or distrust or whatever in your relationship, if he or she's addicted to you, then it's time to look at that relationship much more closely. I want to thank you for being here today. It's truly meaningful to me to hear from you. So please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. If you don't want your email or your question or your comment used on the podcast, just let me know and I won't do it. But I will get back with you as soon as I can. I love to hear who you are, why you listen, what are the situations in your life that you want help with or just another perspective on. That truly means a lot. And of course, your ratings and reviews are just so wonderful. They give me so much information. And I've gotten several this month that are the written reviews on iTunes. One person says, the podcast has given me new tools to help me deal with my depression. One of the things I love about Dr. Margaret is that she's made me see that I have a lifelong illness that may never be cured, but which can be managed. This isn't a tragedy. Another says... He's listened to three episodes. I'm convinced this is a credible source with good insight and advice. I'll certainly keep listening. That made me feel good. Another, I'm in my late 20s. I started listening to self-work a couple weeks ago. The podcast have helped me regain emotional stability during a turbulent time in my life. Her podcast helped me feel calm and centered. That makes me feel so great. Someone else says this is very professional and thought-provoking after I did a search for anxiety disorders. Dr. Rutherford is engaging and has a very smooth and calming approach to psychological issues without being intimidating or overwhelming. Listening to her podcast make me realize I'm not alone and that I can live a productive and satisfying life. Well, I have anxiety as well, <laughs> and I don't know if my life has ever felt more productive except maybe when I was hands-on parenting. And there's another one that says, I started listening to self-work five months ago, about the same time I started therapy. Even though I have an excellent therapist, this podcast helps me a lot in understanding psychological issues different than mine. And there's something about her voice that calms me when my anxiety gets out of control. 
You know, it's interesting doing this podcast. I actually used to do some voiceover work back when I was a jingle singer. So what goes around comes around, right? And then this one is just incredible. To say that this podcast is life-changing is an understatement. Not everyone realizes the need for a therapist or counselor or can afford it. This is great for anyone who wants to start being in a better relationship with themselves. That's truly, truly meaningful to me. Thank you all for leaving those. It gives me, again, the information I need to try to craft other podcasts to try to understand what you want to hear, who you are, and what issues you're facing. You can join me at drmargaretrutherford.com on my website and subscribe there if you like, and you'll get a weekly newsletter with this podcast and a blog post that I do weekly. I just said that, I think. Then I'm doing something fun over on Instagram. I started a series called What I've Learned as a Therapist. I'm going to try to go to 100 things, 100 days and 100 things. But I just kind of walk around my house and look for things to take a picture of and think about what it makes me wonder about or what I've learned. So join me over on Instagram. It's Dr. Margaret Rutherford. And then I've also started a Facebook group. It's a closed group, so all the comments members only can see. It's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Again, facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. I'm delighted to let all of you know that I am just about finished with my book called Perfectly Hidden Depression that will be publishing November the 1st. That's not very far away. So I'll let you know more about that in the coming months. I couldn't be more thrilled. And you're a big part of that. Me having a podcast audience is one of the reasons why I finally did get a publisher. Because I could reach you and you showed some interest in what I had to say. So thank you so very much. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret. And this has been Self Work.